Welcome to Chandler United Methodist Church as we worship together online. This is that time of year when you awaken in the early morning fearing the coming heat. And so you decide to step outside and enjoy the fresh, cool air for a few minutes. You may even decide to get in a walk before it gets hot. And so as you're lacing up your shoes in the front room, you notice out your front window that a dog has left a deposit in your front yard, a, a very large uh, dog. Uh, and your mind begins to process uh, as you finish tying your shoes. You, you simply cannot have that on display in your front yard for everyone to see. And so you go charging out the front door, and as you turn to gently close the living room or the front door behind you, beneath your foot, right there up against the house, beneath your foot, you notice it, it, it feels like the paver is loose. And, and then you head out to deal with the deposit. In the, but two steps out, you, you realize that in charging out the front door, you forgot to bring a plastic bag to put over your hand as you pick up the dog uh, deposit. So you turn back in, and as you open the front door, sure enough, you, you feel there under your foot, that paver, sure enough, does feel loose. And, and so forgetting about the dog, uh, and yeah, you get down and you find it is not only loose, that paver, but it's also sinking. Well, well, you can fix that. It'll just be a $5 bag of sand from your favorite home improvement store. And so you go into the garage and out of the toolbox, you get a flat-headed screwdriver and you come out and you start to pry up that paver and you discover that what was once, well, just a moment ago, a very loose paver, a sinking, it, it has become very hard to remove. And and so you go back into the garage and you fetch a, a, a pry bar and one, two, and on the heroic third pull, you pull up that paver stone. It does come up and you see what you knew you would see down there, not enough sand underneath it. And you see the cause. It's like someone is carrying away the sand bit by bit, grain by grain you see a whole nest of little ants have taken up residence under there. And as you contemplate whether to call out a bug guy or try to do it yourself, you notice that right up against the house, in the foundation behind where the paver was, there is a crack in your foundation. And the paver was only two inches thick, but that crack in the foundation of your home seems to get noticeably wider the farther down you go. And so you kneel down there and you use your fingers and you pull back some of the sand and you pull up a few pavers, get them out of the way, and you pull back some more sand. And, and then you just get a shovel from the garage. It's still pretty cool outside. You're, you're going to get this fixed pretty quick. And, and indeed, as, as you dig and you discover that, well, 
farther down you get, the wider the crack becomes. And, well, you're going to have to get to the bottom of that and patch that break in the foundation of your home. And you're also discovering that the ants are not happy that you're disrupting their life. And they seem to be everywhere. And they're on you. And darn it, they're on your arm. And they're on your legs. And they're biting. And you will be going to your home improvement store for ant killer and concrete patch. And as you're digging there, you, you notice that the ground right where you're digging has suddenly become very hard packed. And then you're no longer making progress. And so you go back out to the garage and you fetch a pick. And you stand there and you take a swing. And, and your first swing, well, you're not very well balanced. And you managed to hit one of the pavers that you had set aside. And now it's in three pieces. So, well, add that to the list. One new paver. You take a step back and you stabilize your stance and you swing that pick again, landing with a solid thunk. And you instantly discover this was not hard earth which you struck, but actually the, the sewer pipe leading out of your house toward the street. And you kneel down to check, hoping that you did not break the pipe while simultaneously noticing that the air is suddenly becoming very moist and no longer smells nice at all. And what started as trying to remove some crap from public display, well, you're now into this project for somewhere north of two grand, and it's gonna take some time, and everyone is gonna see it. Self-improvement is like that. There is always more below the surface than we are prepared to handle. And the learning curve is incredibly steep. And while we think we're keeping it to ourselves, it's all on display. In the church, the way that we talk about self-improvement is the process of discipleship, which has come to mean in the American church Discipleship has come to mean the removal of that which is undesirable and the repair of what is broken. And the concealment of anything that cannot be removed or repaired, we try to get that buried pretty deep. And, and the message of a lot of churches is, if you get yourself improved and perfected enough or at least appear improved and perfected enough, then God will find you acceptable and the blessings will flow. That is precisely the message of our cultural religion. And it brings an unspoken subtext as well. And that subtext is that if you are not bathing in blessings, that means that you have not self-improved enough. You, you haven't patched the break enough. You're still not good enough. That is the message, the subtext of our cultural religion. You're not good enough. But if we were to dare to listen to scripture, particularly Jesus, 
Our focus is rather quickly placed elsewhere on faithfulness to walking in God's way. The imitation of Jesus, living our lives bearing evidence of a God in whom we find our identity, by whom we are defined, who shapes how we act. And, and strangely, that which we find undesirable about ourselves, when we get focused on God's way, living God's way, that which is broken, our imperfections, we discover and are relieved. Those things do not come between us and God. They never have. Those things are overlooked by God. They're just part of who we are. It's what comes with us. It's part of how we know what we know, which God uses in ministry. Our quirks, our uniquenesses, our brokennesses, those become much less important as we become a new creation. They become all the more important as God uses us to shape others, to remind others how loved they are. If we listen, if we listen, our faith language is quite rich in listing all of the tools we have been given to help us keep moving in God's way. God's righteousness, dikaiosune is the Greek word, you have been gifted access to the presence of God. Blessed, makarios is the Greek word, God has conferred approval on you. This is God's definition of you from the beginning. You are valued and you can breathe. Faith, the Greek word is pistis. God is working always to persuade you that God's way can be trusted. Belief, the Greek word is pistis. Isn't that interesting? The same word as faith, pistis. That's our response to God's persuasion. Us having confidence, us coming into confidence and actually living in God's way. It's rather daring. It's difficult. It's challenging. And I hope that you are noticing who the actor is in all of this except the last one. It is God who gifts access. It is God who confers approval and defines. It is God who persuades us to trust in God's way, to which our only appropriate response, the only way we can improve ourselves, the only way we grow, is in confidence in living God's way. And we are in a series of sermons looking for God's way, trying to discern God's way. And today I'd like to look very briefly at three tools which Jesus gives us to help us hold fast to God's way. The first tool that Jesus gives is the best form of teaching and leading. The ability to get his subjects, the, the disciples, thinking by asking questions. He doesn't come at them with a list of absolutes that they need to keep. He comes at them with questions. 
He asks two questions of them. He asks a big picture question, followed by a little picture question in our scripture today. His big picture question, who do the people say that I am? And he gets them answering that question. Well, they think you might be Moses. They may, it might be Elijah. And they get, it gets them going on that. And then he comes and asks a second question. Okay, who do you say that I am? Which jump starts their thinking. And they begin to answer that question. And in answering, they reveal where their thinking is. And their teacher, their leader, Jesus, can now affirm where their thinking is correct. Like in our passage today, when Peter blurts out, you are the Messiah, Jesus affirms him, says those words are a sign that you are in connection with God. You're taking advantage of God's gift of access. You've been talking to God, haven't you, Peter? Jesus affirms him. And then a moment later, when Peter blurts out, well, you can't die. We have to keep this far from you. We can't allow this to happen to you. Jesus can redirect that thinking, which he does. He leans into Peter and says, I think I see the stumbling block here. Think more about God's way and less about your own way. Asking questions, affirming, and redirecting. That's the first tool Jesus gives us to help us keep God's way. The second tool that Jesus offers, he kept the focus on God and moving forward. Jesus could see what was coming, and even though he didn't like it, he did stick to God's way. Of course, our text is almost comical in Peter. Peter was such a wonderful example. We can see in him our own practice of using our objections, our particular inconveniences, our unhappiness, our unfulfilled feelings of entitlement, our resentment that life is not fair as a reason for bringing things to a screeching halt so we can talk about how we feel about it and only allow forward movement when we are satisfied and feel good about it and never then being satisfied or feeling good about it getting stuck in our cycle of negativity always complaining about what is not quite perfect in us harping on things in ourselves which we find unsatisfactory or Oh, maybe leaning then into the habit of criticizing others as if it's our job to improve others by pointing out where they're not yet faultless, implying that if they would improve, then we would stop criticizing when the real truth of the matter is we've just slipped into a habit of criticizing because we feel out of control and forward movement scares us. And we call it constructive criticism, but it's just criticism. And if those things don't work, then we just retreat into our habit of boredom, being easily distracted from anything that isn't easy. How's that for a run-on sentence about our way of keeping it all about us and stopping forward movement? Jesus kept the focus on God and moving forward. That's his second tool 
that he offers us for following God's way. The third tool he gives us, Jesus is clear that the future is coming and his disciples are going to enter that future and how they feel about that is irrelevant. Clinging to the past or demanding a secure future are not viable options. And Jesus is not concerned about public polls. Jesus is not concerned how the disciples feel about moving forward. He says that's the reality. He says into Jerusalem is where God's way is taking us and I will be arrested and I will be put on trial and I will be killed. And our feelings about this are going to have to come along. God has, are, are you catching all of this? God has gifted you access conferred approval on you. God is working in you, persuading you to trust in God's way, to have confidence enough to actually live in God's way. It's a difficult road with a lot of challenges and it's easy to get distracted. And in this passage, Jesus is giving us some tools for staying on that straight and narrow path asking questions, affirming, and redirecting. Keeping the focus on God as we move forward. And even when we encounter resistance or rejection, not letting how we feel sway our commitment to keeping God's way. We're finding God's way, and we will continue this conversation next week. The sacrament of Holy Communion is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. We were formed from dust into the God, image of God. We were sparked to life by the Word of God. Almost immediately we determined to go our own way. God came looking God delivered us from captivity. God sent many prophets to live and speak among people a lot like us. Even sent a son who demonstrated the way of God. And yet people a lot like us criticized him, disparaged him, pressured him, blamed him, schemed against him, apprehended him, beat him, ridiculed him, ended him. Because even though they said they wanted to know God's way, what they wanted was their own way. On the night in which he demonstrated God's way of changing the world, Jesus gave thanks while breaking bread, saying, this is me becoming part of you. Eat this and remember me. He again gave thanks, this time over a cup. He said, drink from this, all of you. My blood seals a new covenant. Remember God's presence in you as often as you drink it.
Later that same night and into the following day, in response to God's divine purpose, people like me and people like you arrested and tortured this man to death. They did it in broad daylight, and they called it good. God's response to the end which they imposed was to again speak life. Jesus ascended to be with God and according to his promise remains also with us as we follow in his way. We look to Jesus as our guide, as our example. We imitate Jesus. As Jesus offered himself fully to God's purpose, so do we. As Jesus remained unswerving from God's way, so do we. We sense the movement of the Holy Spirit to lead us and nudge us along the narrow path. May the Spirit of God, whom we know in the person of Jesus, go before you to show you the way, behind you to nudge you forward when you are too frightened to move, above you to watch over you, beside you to be sometimes the only friend you have in this world, and within that you might know peace. Be always in peace. Amen.